I think this is an important question. And, and if, I'm, if I'm being honest or if I'm being transparent with you, this is the question that means the most to me. Um, how am I doing? And, and what I mean by that is like when I think about the different various uh, parts of my life, trying to figure out how I evaluate how I'm doing is such a big deal. For example, with, uh, with parenting, I mean, I don't know, maybe nobody else in the room ever questions whether or not they've got it figured out as a parent. Everybody just posted all their children's first day back to school pictures because it's that time of year. And all these parents and their kids are just, you know, they're bathed and groomed and they're standing outside their front door and they got one of those cute little marquee signs that says, you know, so-and-so's first day of school and it's wonderful or it's a chalkboard. They got some idea off of Instagram or Pinterest and it's all wonderful. It's all wonderful. My kids barely made it to school with both shoes on. Like, there were no smiles, there were no signs, there was none of that. And we're rushing into school because we're literally late the first day of school and it's all my fault. Like, there's no, no one else to blame it on. It is all me. We're rushing in and I'm thinking maybe we can get a little picture in front of this bush. You know, it's a nice background and at least I can pretend that we had a nice first day of school. But nope, the kids are already late. They're going to get tardies on their first day of school. And I'm looking at all these other parents and I'm like, those parents... Now, I know, I know it's not whether or not you can take an Instagram picture that tells whether or not you're a good parent. I get that. But I'm thinking that maybe it's something to do with a parent who has things together that they also can do those things. You know what I mean? Like there's these, these they're, they're, it's symptomatic of being a good parent. And I know some of that's silly, but I know first day pictures are not the defining characteristic of parenthood. I mean, I'm going to be lucky to get like a 21st day uh, of, of school picture with my kids. We're working on it. I do have a picture and I, I won't tell you because I don't want... I don't want to make anybody feel bad, but there, we tried to make a picture, but you know how when the kid, the strained smiles in the pictures where you're like, smile, look happy, you know the strained smiles, I got a picture like that and I decided it wouldn't look good to post it for, for anybody, it wouldn't look good for me as a parent or, or any of our kids. How do you know, how do you know how you're doing? Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14, enter through the narrow gate. For wide is the gate, and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate, and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. It's one of those scary verses that we read. I hope I'm on the insider's club. I hope I make it. I hope I'm not on the outside. I hope I'm on the narrow path. How are you doing? How are you doing? And more importantly, how do you know how you are doing? How do you know how you are doing? As a parent, as a spouse, as a human, how do you know that? And we tend to use the criteria that reflects best on us if we're a certain type of person or if we're another type of person. We tend to wallow in the criteria that reflects worst on us. But how do we know and how do we evaluate how we are doing? And then most importantly, and of course we're at church so this is most important, how do you know how you're doing as a disciple. How do you know how you're doing as a disciple? This is so important. We're in part two of this series, and it's only going to be a two-parter because we're going to start some really important stuff next week that you have to be here for. Clear your schedule and come here next week at nine o'clock because we're talking about some very important things. This is the second in this series about disciple, and if you weren't here last week, that's okay. You can listen online, but it was pretty um, foundational to what we're trying to describe. We're, we need to all be on the same page with what a disciple is because that's what it's all about, folks. 
There's nothing bigger, there's nothing greater. You don't graduate from a disciple into anything else. And if you're a Christian, you're a disciple. Remember we talked about last week, a disciple is not the heavy-duty version of a Christian. A disciple is not a Navy SEAL version of a Christian. A disciple is a Christian. So if you're a disciple, you're a Christian. If you're a Christian, you're a disciple. You're on this path. You're on this journey. This is what it's all about. So there's nothing else. There's no greater calling. And Jesus was very explicit about this in Luke chapter 14. If anything in the world means more to you than following Jesus, then then you've missed the point. Your family, your job, your career, your garden, your car, your shoes, your taxes, whatever, anything means more to you than following Christ and you've missed the point. Ooh, that's a high standard, Jesus. I don't know if I measure up. How do I know how I am doing as a disciple? Last week we defined disciple as this. Disciple is one who, try, who is continually discovering the image of God to gain more clarity about who Jesus was and what, what he was like in the world. A disciple, secondly, is all about desire. In other words, that God doesn't just care about what you do, he cares about what you want to do. He wants you to want to, right? And then thirdly, disciples continue the mission of Jesus in the world. Disciples do. Disciples do. How do you know? How do you know how you're doing as a disciple? Is there a quiz? Is there a quiz we can take? Well, actually, yes, there is an online quiz that you can take. It's on Christian.net or ChristianNet. Here it is. Uh, I found this this week when I was trying to figure out how do I know how I'm doing as a disciple. And this is a great website, by the way, for a variety of reasons. Because if you need Christian acne skin care, well, they've got it for you. They've got a whole list of things. I hope you know I'm being sarcastic. I don't really want you to navigate to this website during services and figure out how you're doing as a disciple. But they've broken everything down into 25 questions. 25 questions. I got a 19 out of 25, so I probably shouldn't be up here. I think that's, uh, I, I, what is that, about a 72%? I think that's a C minus, you teachers in here. That's a C minus. I should not be up on stage with a microphone if I can't pass a quiz about discipleship. Now, in my defense, some of the questions were pretty, I, I thought, pretty, uh, pretty dumb. There were things like, uh, should disciples murder each other? I don't think so. I think that's probably off limits. But the, there were other questions where I'm like, I think I know what you're getting at, or I know what the right answer is. They were all true or false. But I could like answer it in a way that, you know, it took it too literally or whatever it is. But if you score 25 out of 25, great. That means you know what a disciple should do. That doesn't necessarily mean you are a disciple. Knowing how we are doing as a disciple is less like taking a quiz and more like taking a trip, knowing, assessing, figuring out how you are doing as a follower of Jesus Christ is less like taking a quiz. And I know we generally know this, we, we, we get that, but it is, Christians, it is so easy for us to fall into this like sort of checklist trap approach to what it means to be a disciple. To say like, well, you know, I did these four or five things and so therefore I must be. God has to let me in. God, you have to let me in when I die because I got a 19 out of 25 on the Christian net quiz. You have to let me in. No, it's, but that's not what it's about. Discipleship is less like taking a test and more like taking a trip. I know some of you could not be rolling your eyes harder internally about that statement. 
That sounds so new agey, wishy-washy, taking a trip. Yeah, life is a highway, rascal flats, okay. You getting your theology from country music? I'm sad I know that actually, by the way. But oh, great, life is a journey. That sounds so wonderful. Great, good for you, but we need clear lines. We need clear standards. Some of you are sitting here thinking, if I took that discipleship quiz, I would get 25 out of 25. Give me that mic, let me preach. I can tell you exactly what the standards are, exactly what the lines are, but discipleship is not about standards and lines. There was a group of people to whom Jesus spoke that were very clear on what the standards and lines were, and Jesus was very clear that they were not followers of God. It's not about taking a test. It's more about taking a trip. This is how Jesus constantly spoke about discipleship, constantly. In fact, did you know Jesus called himself the way, the way? Did you know that for the first three decades of the church's existence, they didn't go by such and such church of Christ or such and such Christian church. They didn't have any fancy names. They called themselves followers of the way, which sounds pretty um, trendy, actually. I mean, it sounds a little, I don't know, hippy-dippy is not the right word. I, I did, I did. I, I think church names are important. I think they're really important. And uh, I do think some churches try a little teeny tiny bit too hard with their church names and we're not going to change our name to The Way. But I've got three church names I want to propose to you. Um, the first one is, what about this? <laughs> these are trying too hard. I don't really want to change our name to these. What about Submerge Family Church? I, I don't know if they're getting at baptism, which I think would be great. But there's something that Submerge the Family. I just There's something about that that doesn't really do it for me. Or I'm not making this up. Sandals Church. And this, no, no joke, this church is doing great. And I don't know if people are like, sandals? I've heard of that, ding, ding, ding. Maybe it's that market. You know, if we started a Starbucks Church of Christ, would that really do it? I don't know. But whatever it is, they, it is working for them. Sandals Church, I've never been. I looked at their website, like, oh, what's in their statement of faith? Do you have to wear flip-flops to church? I don't know. And then this last one, it's, I don't want to say it gets on my nerves, but it is a little weird when people just make words up. In order relevate. Are you you mean relevant? Nope, nope, relevate. You mean elevate? Nope. Relevate. Relevant, elevate, relevate. That's what we've got here. And it feels a little bit like if we were to say, if you were to go into your work today or tomorrow, I guess, and you were to say, What, you know, they were where do you go to church? Well, I'm a follower of the way. It'd be like it feels like one of those two trendy kind of approaches to church, two trendy names. But that's what the church knew itself as. They described themselves, the disciples, Jesus, they described themselves as people who were followers of the way. The implication of which is that this is a journey, that discipleship is more like taking a trip than it is like taking a test. So last week, I told you that when you think the word disciple, you should think discover, desire, do. This week, when we evaluate what our discipleship is and should be, I want you to think of two words. I want you to think of intention and direction. Intention and direction. This concept is all over the New Testament, but I'd like to walk us through Matthew chapter 7, verses 13 and 14, that scary verse that we read at the very beginning. Intention and direction. Enter through the narrow gate. So, sometimes when you read a verse like this, this is a good example, you tend, you maybe grew up and a preacher preached about it or your, you know, your Bible class talked about it and you got this specific idea in your mind and it's hard to see any other ideas. 
And so when I read this verse, I get a specific idea in my mind. I've got a picture here that I want to show you. And I, I'm just curious what, what you guys think, what, what you see. Uh, how many of you see a, uh, uh, the head of a donkey? How many of you see a head of a donkey? All right, it's a little about 50%, maybe more. Uh, how many of you see a little seal sliding on its belly? Oh, some of you are like, oh, yeah, I see that too. Now, if I tell you, think seal sliding on its belly, that tends to be what you see. If I tell you, think head of a donkey, that tends to be what you see. Now, the picture is both, right? It can have more than one way of looking at it. But if I prime you to see one sort of thing, you're going to see one sort of thing. Did you know the Bible works like that? Mostly because your brain works like that. But the Bible, there, there can be these plethora of meanings to a verse. And I don't mean that in a relativistic sort of way, but that these verses are so dense and thoughtful. And they're, I mean, they're inspired by God. And there's just such richness and depth to the meaning that sometimes we just see the donkey's head or we just see the seal. And it means so much more than that. So I want you to look at Matthew chapter 7 and verse 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate. That's what I've tended to focus on, the narrow gate. For wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction. Many enter through that gate, but small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. I've literally heard this verse preached where the preacher would say something like, Today, go to your local mall and just watch everybody walking through the mall. Most of those people are going to hell. And that's the way that they interpreted this verse. And if you look at it, oh, I do. I guess I do see the donkey's head when I am primed to see that. I see it that way. But there's so much more there. There's so much richness and depth. And I'm not saying that he's not talking about, hey, most people are just kind of like defaulting toward the wide path. I'm not saying it doesn't have that meaning, but I'm saying there's so much more. And we need to kind of step back and try to understand what he's getting at. The other thing that people tend to do with this verse is they tend to fixate on this aspect of Christianity that they don't like. Um, you may have run into this. You may feel this occasionally. When we read verses that have to do with, like, Jesus is the only way. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me, John 14. I don't, I mean, I'm a little uncomfortable with that. Really? It's so exclusive. It's so close-minded. Are you sure? Like, I don't like that. I want to be in a place where we're open and we're inclusive and we're open-minded. You're thinking the wrong category, folks. When we feel that way, or when you run into people who feel that way, they're thinking the wrong category when it comes to our idea of what it means that Jesus is the way. They're thinking the wrong idea. I have never once in my life uh, gone like real mountain climbing, like above 8,000 feet, need an oxygen tank. I think it's so fascinating. It's so fascinating because people who are amateurs that do that almost always have to have some sort of guide. They have to have somebody that's showing them the way. You see where this illustration is going, right? They have to have someone who shows them how do you get to the top because there are a lot of treacherous paths that won't lead to the summit of the mountain. What they will do is they will lead to a cliff and you'll fall right off it and you'll die. And so if the guide climbing up the mountain were to say, that is not the way, this is the only way, we wouldn't be like, stop being so close-minded, man. Open up your mind. Let people do what they want. Let people think what they want. Let people believe what they want. We'd be like, okay, thank you for saving my life and keeping me from going down the wrong path. That's what we would say. And so when Jesus comes along and says, I am the way, he's not talking about a statement of exclusivity. He's talking about reality. This is the way life works. I am the way. There is a narrow path. It's not because I want everybody to go down the broad path to destruction. It's because this is the way that it is. This is the truth. 
This is reality. He's not being, it's not a statement of insider versus outsider. He's a, it's a statement of the way things truly, really are. So we need to understand that when we're thinking about what this verse is and means. So first of all, just two points, real quick. Two points. A disciple, the way we evaluate who we are as a disciple, is about intention. Is about intention. Intentions get such a bad rap, you know? You've all been burned by someone who was, was late and caused you to miss the, the, the movie or whatever. And, then, and you're like, what's going on? And they're, well, th- what do they say? Oh, I didn't mean to. All right, well, uh, great. Thanks for not meaning to, but we still missed the movie. Or you've all had people who, uh, who, who said something mean or rude, and they're like, oh, no, it's just a joke. My intentions were just a joke once they saw how you reacted to their authentically rude statement. So what, what it is, and we've all, you know, had people be nice to us, but we were a little suspicious that they had ulterior motives. And intentions get a bad rap, and rightly so. We've all been in a situation where someone apologized to us and they say that what they're saying, they don't say this, but what they're saying is, I don't want you to react to me based on what I actually did. I want you to react to me based on what I want to have done. And we're like, we're living in the real world, man. You came in late for work 12 times in a row. I got to fire you. Your intentions may have been good. We still got to let you go. For most of us, we're like, I don't care about your intentions. Your intentions don't matter. What matters is results. What matters is what you do. What matters is what you say. It's not really about your intentions. (laughs) We'll see about that amen in a few minutes. (laughs) (laughs) Truly open-minded man. You give your child a a glass of of milk, or maybe, maybe it's hot chocolate. And you say, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to trust you with this mug. I know that over the course of your life, you've spilled cups of milk and chocolate milk and whatever, hundreds of thousands, hundreds of thousands of times. But today is the day. We've got to keep trying and growing. Today is the day that I'm going to trust you with this mug of piping hot chocolate. You take it and you put it somewhere safe. And your child, if they're like most children... They said it right down. I mean, the physics can't even get, like, you couldn't even get, like, a, a molecule over. And it's just, like, right on the edge. And then what do kids do with their limbs? They're just all over the place with their limbs, right? And so you as a parent, you, you know, of course, if you're a normal parent, you'll move it in closer. But if you turn around to take care of another issue, limbs are flying. What, what always happens to the mug? The mug gets spilled. And you as a parent, you're, I mean, we ask the dumbest questions like, why did you do that? You know, like, why did you do that? As if the kid meant to do it. And what does the kid always say? What does a child always say? I didn't mean to. I didn't mean to. And so here's what I say to my kids. And I've said it many, many, many times. I, I think maybe they could say it for me. I know you didn't mean to. What I need is for you to mean not to. I need your intentions to play a part in your actions. I know your intentions weren't impure. I know you didn't mean to... Sp- I don't really say it all this way. I don't, and I probably don't say it this patiently. But I need your intentions to be at play here. Because your intentions matter. And when you place that cup down somewhere, I need you to intend to place it in a place where it won't accidentally get knocked over. I need you to intend not to place it near the edge of the table. I need your intentions to play a part in what's going on here. 
This is precisely what Jesus is getting at in this passage. <laughs> and I say that as if I'm the authority on the topic. But I believe this is exactly what Jesus is talking about. He says, listen, enter through the narrow gate. The wide gate, everybody just can default toward that. It's like the drain in a shower and everybody just ends up toward the wide gate. And so if you're looking at everybody else to see how things are going and what you should do, well, don't look at everybody else because that is not how you evaluate yourself. You cannot tell whether or not you're a good parent because a hundred other parents posted pictures of their first day's kids uh, uh, picture on Facebook. You can't. It's not about that. It's not about what everybody else is doing. Enter through the narrow gate. And listen to what he says at the end. Small is the gate, narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. What is, find it is such an important concept in there. Listen, you are not going to stumble into following Christ. You don't stumble into it. It's not an accident. It's not something that happens like, oh, just one day I woke up and all of a sudden I was a Jesus follower. That's not the way it works. Listen, you can come to church for decades and still not truly be a disciple because you haven't intended it. This is so important. This is so important that we get our intentions behind our actions because some of you are good people. You're good people because your parents raised you right. You're good people because you care about what other people think and you don't want to like mess anything up. You're good people because you've committed yourself to like a church group and you want to maintain standards, but your intentions aren't part of your relationship with Jesus and that has got to change. You have to ask yourself some pretty important introspective questions. What are my intentions? Matthew chapter 7, verse 13, enter through the narrow gate, but the word narrow is only, the only, it's used many times in the Bible, the only time it's translated narrow is in this passage. Only time. Every single other time it's translated in the Bible, it's translated difficult or hard or oppressive. And I think what Jesus is saying is he's saying, enter through the difficult gate. Because discipleship is not the path of least resistance. Discipleship is not the path of least resistance. It is a difficult thing to follow after Christ. We read Luke chapter 9 last week. Like, hey, I have nowhere to lay my head. Foxes have holes. Birds have nests. Son of man has nowhere to... Let me say goodbye to my father. Let the dead bury their own dead. It's a difficult thing. Discipleship is not the path of least resistance. And if you find yourself involved in, a, in, in what feels like a relationship with Christ, but not through your own will... Well, I think you have some important questions to ask of yourself. And your intentions matter. We've all, uh, we've all seen situations where parents try to manage every aspect of their, of their child's lives. And parents who can do that and have the energy to do that, well, wonderful. But parents, and we all, you know, we all do this to some degree, but we lecture and set boundaries. And then some parents just really feel like they take it the extra mile. And we developed a pretty modern term, a helicopter parent, right? Someone who's just micromanaging a child's life, right? And you know what? Often, often, some kids, you know, depending on their personality, will like buck up against that. But often kids comply with that, with, a, with an environment like that. Do you, know, do you know why? Because it's the easiest thing to do. It's easier than always fighting with mom or dad. It's just easier to say, okay, I guess I want to learn how to play the oboe because that's what mom wants me to do. It's easier to say, yeah, I want to be involved in that sport because that's what mom wants me to do. It's easier to say, well, I guess I'll be a part of the National Honor Society because that's what mom and dad want me to do. It's easier to say, I'm going to go to that college because that's what mom and dad want me to do. And they want me to do this, want me to do this, want me to do this, and it's easier to go down that path. And here's what happens. Often, when kids leave that environment, they go off and they just kind of do their own thing. And we look at it and we say, oh, they rebelled. They rebelled. 
No, they didn't rebel. They, while we were raising them, were just following the path of least resistance. And when they left home, they continued to follow the path of least resistance. Because we haven't trained them to do the difficult thing. We've managed everything for them. And this isn't a parenting lecture. And I don't, what do I know? I can't get my kids ready for the first day of school. It's not about that. This is just about understanding that we, it's not about following the path of least resistance. And for some of us, Christianity for you has been the path of least resistance because you've avoided doing the difficult things that God is asking you to do. You've avoided the forgiveness that God is calling you to offer to someone who has hurt you. You've avoided the generosity that God is calling on you in ways he's calling on you to give because uh, who knows? Nobody knows. Nobody really knows what I do with my money. You've avoided those things and you're continuing to follow the path of least resistance. But I'm at church. Come on. Is it really hard to come to church? Is it really hard? Some of you hit a detour this morning. Even that. Is it really hard? No. I mean, I'm glad you're here. Don't get me wrong. Uh, you're not supposed to antagonize your audience. I'm glad you're here. But it's not about the path of least resistance. Listen, this is so important. We are not disciples if we're not intending to be disciples. I'm a little nervous that if we were to have some sort of anonymous poll, even in the room, and say, hey, are you a disciple? Are you a follower of Jesus Christ? I think we'd get a lot of, I think so, maybe, I hope so. I don't know. I think we'd get a lot of that because I think we have people who have not intended for that to be who they are and their identity. Not this difficult, hard to reach, impossible to, to, to achieve standard of what Jesus expects us to do, but whether or not we're actually following him. Do we intend to be a disciple of Jesus? You don't stumble into discipleship. It's a difficult, narrow path. Secondly, let's talk about direction real quick. Direction. Intention and direction. Our phones are magical things. Most of you, if you have a smartphone, did you know your phone can actually listen to your car radio and tell you what the song is? Did you know that? You can just be like, hey, Siri, tell me what this song is, and it'll listen for a while, and it'll tell you, and show you the lyrics and all that. One of my favorite features, and this probably is to do with being a parent, one of my favorite features, oh, actually, this is to do with me being a hugely nosy person. One of my favorite features on my phone is this thing called Find My Friends. I have a picture of what it looks like up here. Find my friends. Anybody else uh, find my friends? Isn't it great? It's so nice. You can be like, what is everybody up to on a Friday night? And, you know, all the people that you follow. Now, this is, should not be called find my friends. This should be called find my children because that's what it's used for. Find my teenagers who have phones. Now, on here, I've got a picture of some of the people that I follow way up near the top in Stillwater. There's Kareen. She was with Liam at a park. Oh, okay, Kareen's where she said she was going to be. I trust her. I'm not worried about it. It's just kind of nice to note, right? Uh, oh, my kid is at home. That's wonderful. I can just pull up my computer. I can find my friends. That's awesome. It's, it's very cool. Now, it really shouldn't even be called Find My Teenagers. It should be called Find My Teenager's Phone because I don't know if you know this or not, but your phone and your teenager do not have to be in the same place, especially if they're trying to fool their parents as to where they are. Sorry, teens. I didn't mean to give you away like that. Your teenager's phone can be where they said they were going to be, and their body is not. That can happen. Don't, you know, just, you know, sometimes you want to double check. Sometimes you want to drive to where your teenagers are and figure out, are they actually there? But anyway, that's another conversation. The way this works for me, because I'm a nosy person, I'll open up, find my friends, and I'll be like, oh, I can't, you know, I hope Kareen's coming home soon. I'm excited for her to get home, you know, because you know, I love her and I want to see her, and I hope she's coming home. And you'll open up, find my friends, and you'll see like, oh, okay, she's on radio drive, so, so hopefully that means she's coming home. But find my friends only gives you a snapshot. 
It only gives you a specific image in time. It's only helpful when you hit the refresh button and you can see which direction they're headed. Because they may be on Radio Drive, but if they're going north, that means they're not coming home. Oh no, when am I going to see Corrine? Oh, this is awful. It only matters if you can see which direction they're headed. That's the only reason it matters. A single snapshot in time doesn't really give you enough information. It's nice, it's nice. Stepping on the scale in the morning doesn't really give you enough information. What matters is where were you a week ago and where will you be in two weeks. That's the information that matters. This only matters directionally. So discipleship is more like taking a, a trip than it is like taking a quiz or a test. Discipleship is directional. So it really, it doesn't matter if you're like, well, you know, I go to church. I went to church today and I read my Bible. That's great. But where are we in terms of our direction? Are we headed in a direction? Are we headed in a direction? Our, um, our, our mission as a church is to develop disciples. That's what it's all about. It's always been about that. Our mission is to develop disciples. And so we have these on here, and there are enough people that are new, or we haven't gone over this in a while, that we need to go over this. So I'm going to have some volunteers come up if they would. All right. Discipleship is taking a journey. And the way, we're, we're Church of Christ people. And we're, it's great. We have this theology. We care. We speak where the Bible speaks. You know, all that, you know, all that stuff, right? We're good. And one of the things that really, truly, deeply, honestly matters to us is the fact that we begin our journey with Christ in baptism. There's stuff going on before you get baptized, like what do I think about God? Do I believe in God? Do I believe in Jesus? There's stuff. It's a journey. And at some point in your journey, you get baptized. Ah, oh, great. It's a journey. Woo, we've started it. That's great. Now, what, I'm baptized. I'm good. And I know a lot of Church of Christ people are like, yeah, I am good. I'm, God's got to let me in because I got the baptism seal of approval on my life. That's not what it's all about. There's more. There's more. Yeah, it's a narrow road. There's stuff to do. And then the next thing, does anybody know what this is? Disciples Oh, you guys are all over the place. It's terrible. Disciples connect with other disciples, which means that you've got to have friendships and relationships, and you've got to have people that, to which uh, you're being held accountable, and you've got to have people that you sometimes ask hard questions about them in their lives. It doesn't work without that. It doesn't work without that. And so if you're struggling, like, I'm not really connected. I got baptized. I'm not really connected with people. Well, guess what? you got another point in your journey. These are not checkpoints. These are not, these are just like big billboards that we try to figure out how are we doing, and it's a direction. The next one, we got some gears here. Do you know what the gears are? Don't just attend, engage. Oh, that's so good. Don't just attend, engage. Which it is, it's easy to come to church and sit in a chair. It's easy, but there are things you can do. You can teach little kids about God's love, and you never know where that conversation might take you, right? I mean, there's all kinds of things you can do. You can greet people at the front door. You can help people move. You can visit people in the hospital. The list is never ending, I promise you. Don't just attend. Engage. All right, this is my daughter, so we'll see how well she does. Do you know what this one stands for? Disciples share their faith by sharing their lives. Disciples share their faith by sharing their lives. It's not just about standing on a street corner and shouting at people about, you know, how much God loves them or how much they should avoid hell. It's about letting people get involved with your life, who you are. Even people that your friends and neighbors, you share your faith. You draw them into this journey with Christ by sharing your life. All right, last one. Disciples are being transformed into the image of Christ. This is, this is our journey. We're baptized. 
We're looking to connect with other people. We're not just attending. We're engaged. We're getting involved. This is an all-participation all party here. We're sharing our faith by sharing our lives, and we're constantly being transformed. It, one snapshot doesn't tell you enough. It's a journey. It's a process. It's growth. And so if you're looking at your life, and you're like, well, I did good today. Well, that doesn't matter. Here's the thing. This is so important. If you are at rock bottom but you are turning toward Christ, you're better off than someone who's kind of got it all together but isn't interested and is apathetic and is just like kind of treading water. In fact, Luke 15, I'll wrap this up, Luke 15, verse 7, I tell you, in the same way, there will be more rejoicing in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who do not need to repent. It's about direction. Let's read this passage one last time as we wrap up. One last time, Matthew chapter 7, 13 and 14. Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. It's the easiest thing in the world. You can stumble right into that broad gate. It's the path of least resistance. It's easy. It's no big deal. But small is the gate and difficult the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. Come back next week as we start a new series uh, called Elements, and we engage in our really incredibly important Bible study we're going to engage in. Let's pray, and then uh, we'll be dismissed. Father in heaven, we're so grateful to be here. Uh, God, we're so grateful for discipleship. Lord, we know that it's difficult. We know that it asks difficult things of us, but, but may we never uh, shirk away from the hardships that, that come because we've, we follow you. Lord, we know that following you leads to life. And no matter how easy or attractive or simple it may be to go the broad way, we know that that leads to death. Help us be people who are deeply determined to follow you. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.